0: From the McCourtney Institute for Democracy at Penn State University, I'm Michael Burke. I'm Chris Beam.
1: I'm Candace Watts-Smith. I'm Jenna Spinelli, and welcome to Democracy Works. You know, to, to kind of get into this here, I, I'm wondering what you guys think about, you know, how much of what we saw on Wednesday was inevitable? How much of it really was a, a, a culmination of everything that we've been talking about regarding the the state of our politics? How, How surprised should we be?
2: I think it would be too far to say that what we saw on Wednesday was inevitable, mostly because we have choices that we can make. And we've made over the course of not just over the past four years, but over the course of American history, several bad decisions that got us to this point. Um, Are we surprised? That's a different question. Perhaps not. I think that one of the things that um, came to my mind is that the Department of Homeland Security has said for years that violent white supremacy and far right extremists have been among the top security threats in the United States. People have not taken that seriously. The Senate and the House put forward a bill in March of 2019 to have a task force that ensured um, that we kind of kept our finger on, uh, keep our finger on the pulse of these kinds of movement movements, these kinds of activities, behaviors, um, and it hasn't been taken seriously. So, you know, we got to this point because we've chosen not to do a lot of things when we could have done things very differently.
0: Yeah, uh I want to follow up actually on, on Candice's point there. I mean, one thing that I noticed watching all of this is that it seemed like a continuation to me of what happened up in Michigan just a, I don't know, mm-hmm. was it a few weeks ago, a few months ago when I bet it'll turn out to be some of the same people stormed the Michigan State House, dressed the same way, armed even more heavily than they were in the US Capitol. And then they developed a plot to kidnap uh the governor and to hold her for ransom, or maybe just to execute her. And, uh, you know, it shouldn't be lost on anyone that some of these people in the Capitol yesterday were carrying zip ties and probably planned on doing the same thing. So I mean, one concern I have with this, and, and I think there are other reasons to talk about why this was, you know, shouldn't have surprised us based on what we've seen over the last couple of uh, years. But I don't want this to be seen as a one off, and then dismissed. I mean, this, Mm -hmm. this is part of a pattern that we have seen continuously, not only during the Trump years, but, uh, but before as well. And, you know, it just seems to be hard to get right-wing terrorism to be taken seriously. Uh, they seem to be treated very differently. Uh, but uh, yes, of course, this was uh, an end. I mean, part of what concerns me about this whole thing is, you know, from a tactical perspective, they have to see this as a massive success. You know, they took over the Capitol and then they were able to walk out and shake hands. I mean, it was just craziness. So it's not only that, you know, we could have seen this coming. I think we can see where it's going. Well, you know, I mean, I I, I
3: think that's right. You know, that there's this um, line you can draw that goes back a long, long way. But I also um, don't want to, uh, you know, lose sight of the fact that this is – um, Donald Trump and his minions and enablers. And the thing I was thinking about, Jenna, who the woman from Pittsburgh that we interviewed a long time ago.
1: Selena um, Zito.
3: Yes. Uh, Selena Zito, who who coined the famous phrase that, um, you know, um, Democrats take Trump Trump literally but not uh, seriously. And his followers take him uh, seriously, but not literally. And you know, what you're, what you saw was that that distinction, if it ever had an ounce of legitimacy, it's gone. And, and the idea that we could, um, just keep just assuming that this, um, you know, piling on the gasoline that we didn't have to worry about a match. you know, it makes us all look like fools, um, both his supporters and his um, his opponents. But, um, you know, <laughs> bottom line, it was it was gasoline and and, um, you know, I'm I'm shocked that this all happened, but um, it you know, if you could also very um, easily make the case that well, you know, it, it, it could have easily happened before. And, and it's kind of surprising that it didn't happen before.
0: And, and I mean, let's also put it in the context of what has been a continuous stream of disinformation and alternative reality uh, that's been propagated by some quarters of the media and by some politicians. And that's, this was all based upon a massive lie it was all based upon the idea that Donald Trump actually won the election and that there's something fraudulent. And we have been hearing that from before the election. Let's not forget that. Before the election, Trump told us if he lost, it would only be because the election was rigged. This was supported by, you know, let's not let's not give Mitch McConnell any kind of pass here because suddenly he's upset with Trump. Day after that election, Mitch McConnell could come out and said, hey, we know who won. But instead, like all the rest of them, (laughs) pretty much all the rest of them, they allowed this thinking to go on. And what you then had was a mob of people living in some sort of alternate reality, acting out on the basis of that alternate reality. We've been talking about this for years on the show. We've been saying that this is dangerous for democracy. And uh, you know what? It really is.
2: There's so many things about this situation where if you replace one word for another, y- your brain will explode. So if we, if we were, if we said this happened in Haiti, if this happened in Colombia, if this happened in Nigeria, if this happened in some other place, you know, we'd have a whole lot of words about these things. Another word, if we replace what happened today with Black Lives Matter or civil rights activists, you know, just... Everything would be different. We would be talking about it differently. We would be thinking through this differently. Um, you know, I didn't get to. I didn't watch the images as they were in as they were live. I was driving, but I turned to my husband, who is also black, and mm-hmm. said, "Hey, babe, you know what kind of mindset does a person have to be in to say like, let's go to Washington D.C. and invade the capital?" Invade the capital and expect to live to tell about it. Yep. What we saw, I think, is not... I think that it's so important to also just kind of put into perspective who did this. The fact that, you know, um, there were four or five people who were killed um, or died, Um I don't know. And, and, and that there are already um, politicians who are saying that we're turning this into politics. I don't, I don't actually know what my point is right now. I think my brain is just hurting from just trying to wrap my mind around um, the fact that there are people who I don't, yeah. Like, what did, like, what did they want? Like, what did they, what was their goal?
3: You know, I think that's a really important question. And I think, you know, it is striking to me how once these people got in, um, you know, yes, there were um, members of the press that were attacked. Yes, there was some, um, you know, uh, den- uh, come on, denigration of, 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 Structures, broken windows, whatever. But for the most part, what these people did was pose and take selfies, and occupy different spaces. And and I just want to say, I it, the thought occurred to me that this is the perfect metaphor for uh, Trump. That instead of doing something, it was all about posture. It was all about posing. It was there was nothing about government there was nothing about leadership it was just um, look at me here I am look what I did um, and
0: I I really um I don't know I I, I see I Michael don't agree, you don't agree with me I don't agree with that Chris i I think that and this takes me back to my original point that that there is an alternate reality that's been painted out there and I really think that you know I don't know what everybody was thinking but certainly I think there was a a Contingent of people in there who have been encouraged to think that Mike Pence had the power to make this stop, and that they could just stop the count. Stop. And the you storm. know, if, if you think about it, <laughs> if a smart congressional staffer had not grabbed the electoral votes from the states and run out the door with them, and instead the protesters or the invaders had gotten them and burned them. What situation exactly would we be in right now? Because then you'd have to go back to the States and have them re up with these certifications in an entirely different environment. I have no idea how that alternate reality would have played off, but I think that we're downplaying it if we don't take seriously that Donald Trump has been telling them that Mike Pence can make this stop, that this was some sort of a decisive day, that they still had options. Uh And that's why I think they accomplished their goal. They got in there and they stopped the business of counting the votes. Now, they weren't able to stop it permanently. And maybe that's because their explosive devices didn't go off. Or maybe it's because they weren't able to grab the votes. Or maybe it's because they weren't smart enough to secure the building. They talked about whether you can break the windows. They're carrying all kinds of tools, they're wearing bulletproof vests and Kevlar helmets. I mean, I think that they were fully expecting to be able to do this. And going back to Candace's point, I mean, you know, fortunately, I think we'll see investigations now. But what happened that law enforcement treated this from the from the top down to the street level? This was treated in an entirely different way. So in the planning, at no point was it taken seriously that these people were dangerous even though we had seen what they had done in Michigan and we knew that there were plans to kidnap the governor, yet there was no serious planning that was done that said, hey, we have to be careful of these people. So you didn't have that. Then you're going to have the issues of why, you know, all of I don't even know who runs the Pentagon anymore, but why there was no National Guard made available once Chuck Schumer and others started to scream for it. And then you have the really weirdness of the Capitol police interacting with some of these people like they were good buddies. And, and you know, they're taking selfies with them and mm-hmm. they're holding the door. I saw them help one woman down the stairs instead of like throwing her on the floor and putting her in cuffs. And, and so there was this from the top down, there seemed to be this kind of thought that this was a different type of protester than at other times in DC. And I know Candace wanted to. A-
2: oh, no, I just, oh, okay. when you said that, what, what, I, what, what I got to thinking about was um, how somebody was talking about the interaction between the police and the protesters and, you know, he was saying like, what's going on? And there someone tweeted, you know, it's like asking, where's Miley Cyrus when Hannah Montana's on stage? That's because they're <laughs> the same person. So, you know, what is it that you're expecting? And just going back to the, to the thing that I brought up earlier about th- that bill um, from March 2019 was that part of the bill was to create a task force to um, address and combat neo-Nazi infiltration of uniform services, right? So the, people are well aware of the link. Between people in the police, people in the military and um right, and these far right and white supremacist organizations. So again, we just and I and I say we, like as an American, haven't taken this seriously seriously enough. Um yeah.
0: In fact, in both Congress and at the executive level, it has been explicitly stopped right? They're, they have refused to allow for the investigation of right-wing terrorism as terrorism. Uh, you could go through a whole, I mean, it even comes down to the, r- the refusal to allow for the study of gun violence deaths. I mean, there's mm-hmm. just, there is just sort of a refusal to know what they don't want to know uh, for probably largely racist and also the sort of right-wing reasons. And now we're seeing it. Well, I, a, I
3: think that's population. another question, actually. Is the is this where things go, or is this the moment where the fever broke? And right. and, and my wanna, my hope is that it's the latter.
1: Right, and I want to come back and and talk about that in a bit when we get to like the kind of where we go from here. But I, I want to shift if we can and and talk about some of the the reactions by the time we got into you know Congress getting back into session on on Wednesday and even in the the video that President Trump posted on on Thursday night, you know, everybody's talking about the the damage to American democracy. And I don't think I've ever heard the the word democracy uttered as much as I have over the past couple of days. And I, I guess what I would like to hear your thoughts on is, you know, how much of this is just, you know, good political sound bites, you know, these types of things versus like a truer commitment to actually restoring democratic norms and institutions? And, and what are some of the kind of signposts that you know, everybody should be looking for in the coming weeks, months, maybe even further than that, to, to see you know, how, how true and how deep that commitment to democracy actually is?
0: Just about half of the Republican caucus in the House voted after this to throw out the Arizona vote results. So, and then there's been some interesting analysis I've seen that seems pretty compelling to me that you can pretty well predict those votes by Trump's vote in their congressional districts. So we know exactly what we're seeing. You know, his strength remains, even if he himself is gonna be diminished for a little while here, and maybe for a long time, I don't know, but the, the, the fever still burns. And th- there were not all that many, I think, profiles and courage that night that, I mean, some good speeches, some really good speeches. Uh, but, you know, Mitch McConnell, I can't really take Mitch McConnell seriously when, when he speaks that night after everything that he's done. No, to, to just answer your
3: question directly, I think if you see um, widespread po- prosecution, if you see... Um, of of people who who took part in these acts. If you see a genuine bipartisan investigation into the events, into what happened, and um, if you see um, uh, uh, expressions of contrition on the part of people who made this possible, then it will be possible to move past it. Um, if you don't, um, then yeah, I just think the o- the only hope we have is isolating uh, and and diminishing the the uh, power and access to power of this of this
0: group. Oh, you'll see hey, plenty you- of prosecutions of the people that pumped into the Capitol. I mean, I know the Justice Department today is saying there are hundreds of agents. The FBI has been putting out pictures. You know. Fortunately, I guess for law enforcement uh, none of these people really believe in mask wearing, so it's mm-hmm. not hard to tell who they are when they when they attend a super spreader event, they take it seriously. So none of them wearing masks. So they're going to be able to identify these people. The question is are they going to are they going to go after higher up? So they're going to go after people that instigated this. And are they going to go after the president? They're going to go after any people. They're going to go after Rudy Giuliani. They're going to go after Josh Hawley or any of Josh
3: Hawley, people? Ted Cruz. Yeah. Right. If
0: there was a, um, a vote for instituted? censure, that would or make center. a difference. Yeah, or censure. They're going to do. My guess well, Chris is no.
2: We had historic elections in Georgia that um, people turned out for a runoff at exceeding the rate of the 2016 presidential election um, to hand the Democratic Party, the Senate, the House, and now also the White House. And so not only about kind of crime and punishment and are people going to be in agreement about what we should do in this situation, but I would also like to know if... um, our representatives are going to do the work that the people sent them there to do. So, you know, in my view of this whole situation, you know, we're talking about this um, insurrection at the Capitol because it is important, but I'm really, uh, am I allowed to say pissed off that we are talking about this um, as it's overshadowing the hard work that millions of Americans um, oh yeah, put in to make attempts to steer this country, if not back to normalcy, at least away from chaos, that they have laid a foundation for a potential third reconstruction. And so for me, a lot of what we decide about is democracy being restored is going to be if the people that are officially in power, we've done all of the, you know, getting, you know, confirming this people, you know, all of these, we checked off all of the boxes, if they're going to do the work that the people sent them there to do. Yeah,
3: I, I think that's very well said. My Reason for optimism is that over the last month, I have been repeatedly struck by the uh, competence of of the uh, Biden team in terms of what they say, when they say it. You and I may not agree. I don't know that I agree with every cabinet appointment. That's not my point. My point is that in the way they've been organizing and presenting and um, the speeches that have come forward, they all represent a kind of uh, typical level of competence in a presidential administration. And so therefore, I think it is reasonable to hope at least that um, the the incoming Department of Justice can and the incoming administration can walk into junk gum at the same time, that they can do both of these things. And I really do think that there is an opportunity here both to move past this um benighted irrational despicable
0: moment in american history but also to seize the moment i think we're already seeing that much of what's going to happen here is that this is all going to be used for further to make it even more difficult to vote <laughs> that somehow the idea that there was fraud that's now everybody believes right because they kept being told So now we're going to have to do something about all the fraud that doesn't exist that they believe exists because they've been told it exists. And so one thing is we're going to see, even if we don't see it coming out of Congress, where I actually think now that the uh, John Lewis Voting Act has a chance. I'm not sure where Manchin is, but it has a chance. uh, I think we're definitely going to see that across the states. Uh, The other is the Garland pick was very interesting. He's an institutionalist. He has a lot of confidence, as I understand it, within the Department of Justice and maybe even across the aisle. And so if there are going to be prosecutions that are going to be coming down, uh, that are going to have a very political feel about them related to all kinds of things in the Trump administration, you know, taking children away and this latest insurrection and all of that, Garland might be a much better pick than somebody who would have been seen more as – you know, a more ideological Democrat, like, you know, a Sally Yates or somebody like that who would have been highly qualified, but much more of a lightning rod. Uh, so, and Candace, did you want to pick up on Garland?
2: Yes, but let me take a step back yeah. to uh, whether we're going to um, get any lessons, learn any lessons from this moment. I've been reading the Kerner Commission. And... Um, you know, basically, the Kerner Commission w- was uh, commissioned because of the riots that were happening in major cities. Um, and, you know, Johnson was just kind of baffled by look, we have the Great Society. I'm doing all of these things. We have civil rights, we have voting rights. Why are we still, like, why are Black folks still rioting? And the Kerner Commission says, You know, they go in, they go into all of these cities and they say, look, you know, racism plays a major role in shaping the lives of people in this country. And we need to do more. We need to put the gas on to produce more equity in society and more democracy in America. And then uh, we voted for Nixon and we just kind of like zoomed toward neoliberalism and blah, blah, blah. Okay, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I have been trying to think about, well, when are times that we had a moment that we could learn from and do something differently and then actually do that thing? So that's that's one. In some ways, this is related to Merrick Garland, because as soon as I saw that he was the pick for attorney general, I thought, oh, so I guess we are not going to pack the court's you know, I just felt like Democrats. Like, what lesson? Maybe that's maybe that's extreme. Maybe that would be a, a major extreme move. Maybe that's still on the table. I don't know. But you know, I feel in some ways they're like, let's just keep it moving. Let's just do the things that we normally do. Um, I don't know. I, I'm curious to know if we're going to see any lessons on the part of Democrats from this whole situation.
3: You know, you have to have – you cannot be inordinate in your expectations about democratic politics in America. Nothing happens that is genuinely revolutionary. But there have been responses to events that have dramatically changed the status quo. And so uh, post-Watergate, that's one example. Um, The Church Commission and what they said about, um, you know, the CIA's actions uh, overseas, that's another. Um, Were they sufficient? No. But did they change things dramatically for the better? Yes. And so I'm I'm hoping that it's that kind of moment.
1: So, you know, we've we've been talking uh, a lot about what's happened, um, some of what it means for democracy. Uh, As we kind of bring things in into a close here, I'm I'm reminded of our our favorite book on the show, uh, How Democracies Die, um, thinking about you know one of the things they say in that book is that there's it's it takes or it has if you look back in history taken a moment of crisis to really bring about a, a profound sense of change or to stop democratic erosion and so i just wonder you know what are some of the the guideposts that you think we should be looking for to see whether what's happened this week is going to be a, an event for, for the, the U.S.? Um, are we really going to move toward change? Is it, are we just going to try to, you know, get back to, to business as usual with, with the, the Biden administration, try to turn a new leaf? Um, what, are you, what are you all going to be, be watching here over the, the coming weeks and months?
0: There, there are a couple of different perspectives here. One is, uh, you know, internationally enormous damage has been done. And as if it hasn't already over the last four years, the American, you know, our country's ability to tell other countries how to run democratic elections or or anything else has really been greatly, greatly diminished. And so a large part of our soft power, I think, has really gone out the door and maybe something we'll be talking about as the year goes on. I think it will be interesting and important to see whether or not this is something we all just decide to move past or whether or not, you know, it's really fully investigated, prosecuted, and we come to terms with with how we got there. And I don't only mean in terms of the people that entered the Capitol. I mean, those arrests are already being made as we're speaking. Uh, But, you know, are these senators and House members going to be censured? Is there going to be any consequence for them within the chamber? My guess is no. Uh, But that is the kind of thing uh, that would be, you know, really trying to take account of where we are and consider how we got here and how we're going to move forward. I'm not sure we're going to do that, but but that would be one possibility. I firmly believe that the only
3: way we um, have a genuine opportunity to move past this is if we hear some contrition, some, some personal accountability. I had a part in this happening. And I regret it. I apologize. Um, I. It is striking to me how many times I've heard people say, you know, this is too far. This is unacceptable. But, you know, I voted for Trump. I wanted him to win. I would like one of those people to say, you know, based on these these recent events, that was a mistake. I should not have done that. <laughs> um, um, he, he should not have won. If and when that you start hearing that kind of thing, then I think it's possible for us to move past that. But I, I'm not hopeful that you're going to hear any of it.
2: Some people are kind of having a debate about whether this moment was a sign of democratization, that um, often when you include more and more people more and more people are getting a say that the people who are used to having the most say want to have backlash. And, um, you know, I think that's a debate worth having to some degree, given that not only, right, um, did we see this insurrection of the Capitol building, but it's happened after hundreds of protests across the country for racial justice. It's happened after millions of people Um, stood in lines for hours during a pandemic to vote for the people that they um, thought would be better leaders. Um, So for me, I think that not only do we need to keep our eye on whether there is, um, as Chris mentioned, people taking responsibility for their part, but also that we see that moving forward, that the will of millions of people... um, who hopefully got their say Um, in this election will get to see the policies that they want, many of which are those that are aimed to bring more equity to this world, uh, bring more equity to the United States, um, and to push the United States toward its uh, better angels. Mm -hmm. Just to
0: follow up on Candice for one second, it, it is one of these moments that I think really highlights inequities in a way that you don't often get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, these dramatic images of riot police greeting BLM protesters, as opposed to the chatty relationship between Capitol Police. And I mean, that everybody saw that. Uh, I, it's hard for me to imagine anybody doesn't just see it and recognize it for what it, for what it is. So maybe that's important. Or, or maybe it just becomes a visceral moment and it's just gone uh but it but it is one of those moments that puts into clear relief what others see
3: all the time. The immediate record does not give you a lot of grounds for um you know a lot of hope
2: that there is no history book written ever that at the end said, and then they gave up. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll
1: end it there. Um, thank you to the three of you for this discussion. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Hopefully this is helpful to you uh, as you continue to you know, process everything that's happened for yourselves or with your students. If you're, you're a teacher in, the, in, a, in a classroom um, for Democracy Works, I'm Jenna Spinelli.
3: I'm Michael Berkman. I'm Chris
2: Beam. And I'm Candace Watt-Smith. Thanks for listening.